Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. All right. Well, good morning and welcome back again to the Money Advantage Podcast. We are going to have a fabulous and fascinating conversation today with you about shoes, speed, and success. And we're going to talk about everything in between, which is going to be really exciting. We have uh, Bruce Wainers with me today, and then we have Stephen Sashin with us. And he is the founder, the co-founder of Zero Shoes. And I cannot wait to dig into this conversation and talk not only about his story, but also his shoes and his mindset and the great things that he's doing in the world. So um, Steve, thank you for being with us today. And well, go ahead. Thank you. And boy, there's a lot of pressure after that intro. <laughs> well, I'm going to make it even better because I'm going to tell a little bit more about you before we get going. But <laughs> would you like to be called Steven or Steve? Um, I would like to be called master of the universe and ruler of all things, but no one seems to agree with me on that. <laughs> so, um, Love it. Especially my wife. So Stephen will be more than fine. By the way, I was trying to find a way to share this, um, and when I click to do that, it doesn't give me the option to share. So oh, no. Oh, wait, here's another share option. Hold on. Let me try. Facebook keeps changing the way that they do things. So I'm going to share this to my Zero Shoes page. Awesome. Um, right. All right. About us. Uh, Does that let's work? Do that. Yes, we're sharing. So now the Perfect. world is hearing about what we're doing too. All so, right, let's jump in so, and have some fun. Yeah. So Stephen, this is um, this is really exciting for us because what we try to do is help the business community um, understand all aspects of business. And and the big thing is, uh, I believe you have to start with this mindset. And I've 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 looked at uh, I've consumed everything I possibly can consume on you. I love you and your wife's mindset. And uh, to the point where we're going to dig into the Shark Tank thing and how you were able to stand up to them and so on and so forth and believe in yourself and and uh, and then just prosper after that. So thanks for doing that. Um, so Rachel's going to do a little bit of a introduction and then we'll get going on the show. But I just want to tell you, thanks. Our people are really going to enjoy this today. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to what's next. So here we go. Awesome. So today we're going to be talking with Stephen Sashin. Now, he's one of the fastest men over 55 in the country. Um, he's going to tell you about that. He's also, I think he would say that he is um, possibly maybe the fastest 55 plus Jew in the world. Um, now he and his wife, Lena Phoenix have co-founded zero shoes. And what I love is that you have not only created a shoe, which you see behind you on the wall there, but you're creating a movement with that. And we're going to uncover and discuss that as well. And I think that's probably something that any entrepreneur, any business owner would love to figure out how to model. And now you've also turned down a $400,000 offer on Shark Tank, which is something most people can't say that they've done. So let's just go ahead and dig into your well, story. It's, how do, it's go more, ahead. It's, it's what most people would say was completely insane and proved that we had our heads firmly implanted up our butts with a case of ranial rectal reorient, wait, cranial rectal reorientation problem. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Well, you know what? I think sometimes it takes a lot of courage to do what you know is right, even when other people think you're not making the right decision. So tell us how in the world did you come to start talking about be creating a business about shoes? Oh, no, no, no. You have it completely wrong. Didn't happen that way. Oh. Um, and, and the way it actually happened is my favorite thing, which was a complete accident. Um, there wasn't any you know planning or um, whatever. So what happened was 
13 years ago, a little more than 13 years ago, I was 45. I got back into sprinting after a 30 year break, which I I don't inherently recommend. I was getting injured constantly um, for like two years. And finally, one day, a friend of mine who's a world champion uh, runner, which I was living in Boulder, Colorado, and uh, saying world champion runner friend is like saying neighbor because they're everywhere. Uh um, I mean, there's just so many Olympians out here. It's crazy. I'm not one. Anyway, he said, try running barefoot and see if you learn anything about why you might be getting injured. I hear that's, you know, there's some diagnostic things and a lot of professional runners do a bunch of barefoot training um, for to help with their form and to build foot strength. So I just so happened there was a group of people getting together that weekend for a barefoot run. And I went out now, I'm, again, I'm a sprinter. I run the hundred meters outdoors. Indoors, I only run 50 or 60, depending on the track. I don't take turns. I don't know how they work. They're very confusing. Straight line, really fast. That's all I do. The most I'd ever run of my own volition, maybe a mile. And I did not like that at all. So, really? Yeah. Um, it was just remotely or not even remotely fun. So we go out for this barefoot run. We're running on grass and on concrete and on roads and on trails and over wooden bridges. And I was so entranced by the feeling of it. Just, I mean, it was just amazing. And I just started experimenting. What happened if I land on this part of my foot or that part of my foot? If I run faster, if I run slower, if I run the same speed, but move my legs faster or move my legs slower. I just kept just, I was so, so transfixed and so curious um, that I just kept doing whatever I could think of to see what would happen. And at the end of this run, we came back and someone had a GPS watch on. And I said, how far was that? And she said, I was a little over 5K. It's like, I'm sorry, <laughs> what? I mean, I had no idea. And I could have kept going. Um, wow. Here's the fun part. I ended up with a blister on the ball of my left foot, not my right foot. Now, I have learned that in situations like that, the average human goes, hey, this is nonsense. I got a blister. I, for whatever reason, thought, hey, how come my right foot's fine, my left foot's not, and my left leg is the one that typically gets injured more often? Huh. Interesting. So a week later, I figure I'll do my second barefoot run. I've still got a gaping hole in the bottom of my foot, but I thought if I could run in a way that doesn't hurt, then I'm probably not doing the thing that caused the gaping hole to begin with. Let's just see what happens. I'll give it 10 minutes. Nine minutes and 30 seconds of sheer agony later, (laughs) um, I'm ready to give up. And then in one stride, everything changed. My running got easier, lighter, faster. My breathing relaxed. I mean, everything got better. And I'll tell you what what happened in a moment. But the gist is um, I just tried to anchor in whatever was going on, that movement pattern. And I did. And my injuries started going away. I became a master's all-American sprinter. But I, the key thing is that I wanted that natural movement experience as much as I could have it, that barefoot experience. And I knew about the Tarumara Indians in Mexico who ran in um, sandals they made out of scraps of tire that they strapped to their foot. So I just did my version of that. And I got some um, uh, uh, rubber from a shoe repair place. I got some cord from Home Depot. I figured out a lacing system, made some sandals. And then people kept asking for them as well. It's like they told two friends and they told two friends. And eventually, here's the end of the story. Uh, A guy who's a barefoot running coach said, I have this book coming out on barefoot running. And if you uh, treated this hobby of yours, this sandal making hobby like a business and had a website, I could put you in the book. Well, I'd been an internet marketer for a long time. I'd built about a thousand websites. So I rush home and pitch this incredible opportunity to my wife who assures me that again, I have my head completely up my butt and um, it's a horrible idea. Won't make any money, waste of time. Please don't do it. And like a good husband, I told her I wouldn't. And like a typical husband, after she went to bed, I built a website. (laughs) And so, um, and 
A, it took off like crazy. And B, here we are 11 years later, instead of just a do-it-yourself sandal kit company, which we were for three and a half years, we now have a complete line of casual and performance shoes, boots, and sandals that people wear from everything from taking a stroll on the beach to running across Madagascar to climbing Kilimanjaro to hanging out with friends. Nice. That hey, is hey, so cool. That is really, hey, Stephen, this, is just, this just popped in my head. We're about the same age. I'm going to turn 58 in about uh, three months. Um, so uh, this this name, has Zola Bud reached out oh, yeah. to you by chance? Yeah. No, you know, has she reached out to me? No, boy, I wish she would. Um, and you know, I got uh, I feel like an idiot. I haven't tried to reach out to her, which is incredibly stupid because I certainly have made reference to Zola a number of times for people who don't know. Um, she was in the Olympics and ran barefoot. And uh, I, I got to do that. And if anyone knows Zola, never call me. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. Well, you know, I did not ever experience barefoot running completely, but I was a familiar a little bit with it. And I did more like a mile a day, just kind of to do a little jog. And I ended up with hips feeling crazy all the time. And somebody said, hey, you should try barefoot running the style of barefoot running. So I did a lot of research right. on understanding how the, the foot fall would would land and how not striking with the heel, but more midfoot or ball of foot. And so I right. tried that and I ended up running for years and years with no pain at all. So yeah. not in barefoot shoes, but as, as flexible as well, I could find. So now that but, I'm but, coming aware you, of your company, you, that's amazing. But you really hit the nail on the head though. It's about the form, not the footwear. It just so happens that footwear interferes with the ability to get the feedback that you need to adapt the right form. Ooh. So if you have cushioning, here's the simple thing people don't know. And this is going to sound crazy. A quarter of the bones and joints of your entire body are in your feet and ankles. It seems nuts, but I mean, I've got a foot skeleton over there. I'm too lazy to get it. Um, and you have more nerve That's endings awesome. in the sole of your feet than anywhere but your fingertips and your lips. So clearly you're supposed to wow. use these things. They're supposed to bend, flex, move, and feel. That's the most important part maybe because mm. that's what gives your brain that feedback to know how to effectively work with your body. So if you don't let your foot do its job, all that function of balance and agility and mobility tries unsuccessfully to move upstream to your ankle, your knee, your hip, your back. So the whole idea about natural form is that it lets your feet do their job so the rest of your body can do its job. If you have mm. cushioning, then you can't feel. Um, if you squeeze your toes together, then you can't move properly. If the sole is too stiff, then your foot can't move. If the sole is too high, then that makes you tippy and unbalanced. So if you look at modern athletic shoes, they're designed as the antithesis of natural movement. And all we're doing is trying to let your feet do what feet are supposed to do, bend, flex, move, feel. That is fascinating. So just as an idea, it sounds like you were very curious. You were experimenting with yourself is really what you were doing. You're running experiments as you're barefoot running and trying to figure out what is enabling me to enjoy this run that I never enjoyed before. Yeah. And now how can I make a shoe that works for me? And it sounds like it's just fascinating how you fell into the business almost it, by know, chance. It was a total accident. I mean, and in fact, after I built the website and Lena kind of growled at me the next morning, uh, we were running a search engine marketing business at that time that we were just starting. Um, I've been an internet, again, I've been an internet guy since 92. And uh, I said, look, it, it'll be a good case study for our business. The people that are ranking for the keywords I care about, they're currently there by accident. So I can own this in like three months. And I was totally mistaken. It only took six weeks. Really? <laughs> Yeah. And uh, um, within six weeks, this is our full-time job. And seven months later, we had guys from who had previously been at Nike and Reebok and Adidas, and they were sitting at our kitchen table saying, we would do this with you because we believe in you and we believe in natural movement. But we've been in footwear for so long that we're not stupid enough to try and start a shoe company. 
<laughs> and Lena and I said, yeah, we know we're hyper optimistic and naive, but that's you know how most things get started. So away we go. Oh, that's awesome. So, and you started in 09, correct? Yeah, end, end of 09, yeah. Okay. So where along the process was the Shark Tank situation? Uh, so we taped in July of 2012 and then okay. aired in January and June of 2013. So okay. very early on. Okay. So tell us about that. I watched the interview. It was fascinating. And I think you made the right decision. It looked like you stirred up a lot of commentary and discussion and dialogue about, did you do the right thing? Did you not do the right thing? Was that a stupid move? Was it a really super wise move? And I think you were very courageous, but sure about why did you guys go on Shark Tank in the first place? And what did that story look like? I'm going to answer that question in a funny way. People sometimes, when they know we've been on the show, say, well, you know, I don't know if I want to be on, and they're business owners. They go, I don't know if I want to be on Shark Tank. And I go, why would you not want to be in front of 8 million people for free for, you know, eight to 10 minutes? Why would, in any world, would that not make sense to you? So people kept telling us all along that we should be on the show and we didn't even know what they were talking about. And then we found the show, we found the the uh, British version and the Canadian version, Dragon's Den. We watched all those episodes. We read the autobiographies of all the sharks. Um, we applied to be on the show. I didn't really know how that worked. Um, so I just sent in an, ap an application when they weren't even casting. They only cast during a window of time, usually around oh. March, April um, is when they start. So once I found that out, as soon as March rolled around, I sent in an email. We made a video that I sent in. We got a call from the producers to kind of vet us. And then they said, um, they said, we need, to, we need you to make like a five-minute video to send to us by Monday. This is on a Thursday. And I said, oh, not a problem. Not knowing that my wife was planning a surprise 50th birthday party for me that weekend. Oh. <laughs> She's freaking out. And, uh, and I, I had no idea why. Uh, I was totally surprised. Party went off without a hitch. And then on Sunday, we recorded this video and we sent it off. And then they uh, then eventually, and, you know, we ended up on the show. Now, the thing that was really valuable is that once they told us they wanted us on the show, it really made us focus on who we are, what we did, what we wanted, were we serious? At first we thought, you know, this will be a little car payment business, but then we realized we now have an opportunity that's much bigger than we thought of. And by this point, we'd had two years of customer testimonials saying, oh my God, these things have changed my life. So put it all together and it really was the focal event uh, for us. And then being actually taping the show um, I had a blast. I like being in those sort of high pressure situations when people are confronting me with things that are not true. And so, um, so what you, I love that you said interview. Some people say conversation. Many people think the show is live. It's not, it's taped and they tape about this much and end up, you know, editing to this much and they can oh. edit it to make it look like whatever. Oh yeah. Interesting. It's a little I didn't terrifying. realize about the editing part. Okay, go ahead. Right. right. So, and I'll say something fun about that in a bit. Um, so when we were actually on the show, uh, again, it's edited. You don't see the cameras, so you don't have this feeling of being on TV, but you are unnaturally far away from the sharks. It's kind of a weird, awkward thing that the distance they have to get all the right angles they need for the cameras. So uh, it's not a conversation. It's a free-for-all. And the sharks are trying to get you off guard or get you off your balance or whatever it is. And um, I mean, they're always looking for a gotcha. And so you have to kind of be ready to deal with that. If one shark asks you five questions, you're on number three. And another one asks you five questions. If you don't switch this one, that one gets mad. If you do switch, that one gets mad. But one thing you don't see is every objection that they had, we hit out of the park so far uh, that it was just crazy. You don't see that because the show is called Shark Tank, not Stephen and Lena Tank. But at one point, 
At one point, Robert just like literally jumps out of his chair and yells, you have a perfect answer for every question. And Lane and I just looked at him kind of incredulously and went, it's our business. So, um, so the, the key moment though, was that thing with Kevin, where he offered us 400 grand for half the company. We were offering 8% of the company. We had done a lot of research about valuations of footwear brands. And so we knew what the range for yes and no was. We were very negotiable. We just didn't get that far. Um, and so it was just a non-starter. So it was effortless to turn it down because we knew it would be crazy. Lane and I have a debate. Um, I think she said something she doesn't think she said, and I don't know who's right. So at when we, in fact, we forgot Kevin even made the offer and then Robert reminded us and we went, oh, right. And Lena says, she does remember saying this. Um, so are you bringing anything to the table other than money? And he says, well, you know, I'm a smart businessman. I've got a big Rolodex. She doesn't remember saying what I remember her saying, which was so nothing. <laughs> which was great um, nice so, so hilarious um, and, and of and, course and it's probably not in the live show that was shown no, no, no. so you no, no. it's just hearsay right yeah that's awesome so uh so you know husbands and wives always have disagreements about who said what in the past well, of course I, I, i'm going to stick with my version on this one I love and it. and the gist is the show was tremendous for us i mean we listened to the comments the criticism uh, the complaints. And frankly, that was a big inspiration for us to go from being a do-it-yourself company to becoming a complete, you know, aspirational performance and casual lifestyle brand. If it weren't mm -hmm. for them, and that wouldn't happen. So we are forever in their debt. That's uh, metaphor awesome. Metaphorically speaking. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, but what's just really interesting is that it's not about the money. It's really about the exposure that you got. And that's just Well, you know, you can't, if you think you're going to go on just to get the exposure, they can see through that and they're not going to put you on the show. So um, we we wanted to make a deal. We thought it would be a great opportunity. We knew Robert was a, had been a runner. Uh, we knew Mark Cuban knew about the whole minimalist thing that was just starting to evolve. We knew that Damon was hip to footwear and apparel. Uh, we thought Barbara would like us because, you know, we had a lot of people who were just wearing these as beach sandals and she had a place in Florida. She hated me with a passion. Um, she says, she, her line was, I hated you from the moment you walked out here. And then she said, you look like my ex-husband. And then she goes on and on and on. And, <laughs> oh my um, goodness. <laughs> when, when, the, when the show I think aired, part of that aired. Yeah. Well, the, only part of it. Um, when the, when the, um, the show did air, I, I tweeted Barbara, I said, you should have invested. I would have used some of that money for plastic surgery. <laughs> uh, but to your point, oh, I love it. Well, to your point about some of that aired. So, I mean, Barbara like went off on me and then she attacked Lena. Like, why are you married to this guy? And Lena says, you know, I was prepared to defend my business and my numbers and tell my EBITDA and my margin, but I wasn't prepared to defend my marriage. <laughs> That's and, hilarious. And yeah. So um, what I can tell you is we called our producers and said, you know, we're a little nervous because if it was just nothing but Barbara saying she hated me and Cuban and I having an argument and um, uh, we got, I got into a thing with Kevin um, about just EBITDA and growth companies and all these things about the metrics. And I said, they can make us look like boneheads. And so I, we talked to the producers and, and we said, you know, we're nervous because you could make us really look bad. They went, we don't try to make anybody look bad. If somebody ends up looking bad, it was probably way worse in real life. You know, we're a Disney-owned network. We want people to want to be on the show. So we try to make you look as good as you can. And I know, I have a friend who was on the show and she reported that it went so badly, it almost broke up her marriage. When you saw the show, looked pretty good. She's a smart, attractive, interesting, funny woman. Looked great. A couple, you know, a couple lines that she said that were not quite right. So that wasn't perfect, but overall looked good. So I have another friend who was on the show and uh, uh, he looks like a complete, lead ass on the show. And he said, you know, 
they just gave me a really bad edit. And I've said to him, you're a dear friend of mine. And I can tell you now that I know you, you got a pretty good edit. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, it sounds like honesty shines through for you. That's awesome. (laughs) A very short wire between my brain and the front of my face. You know what? That's good. That's a good skill set and a very Uh, good. uh, (laughs) Some people would disagree with you and I can't, and I see their point. Sure. Sure. But we all have our strengths and that's a good one. So, so let's go ahead. How would you say growing this company and the speed that you've grown the company, maybe the speed that anyone grows a company and speed as a runner, how do you feel that speed connects across those different facets? Um, there's, you're constantly running two races when you're running a business. One is a speed race. Velocity is important. The more you can do, the better, the faster, the better. Uh, at the same time, there are certain things that you just can't rush. And and luckily, uh, my wife and I have complementary skill sets and mindsets. So I'm the sprinter. She's the detail-oriented long-distance person. She's not an athlete, but I mean, that's the way her brain works. Mm. So, and we we understand when each one of us um, sort of takes precedence for that. So it's, it's just a constant push me, pull you. I mean, there's some people, you know, the line that I have is all businesses rise to the level of neuroses of their founders. And so my thing is, you know, I'm not focused. That's not my thing. My thing is that I come up with a lot of ideas and I try to do as many things as I can and then find the things that work. And Lena is more of a focused person. So it's just a really good combination. And if you, if you know which one of those you are, you should find someone who's the other. Because uh, if if all you're doing is your version, you're gonna you're gonna hit a roadblock at some point that you won't have a way of getting past. And the whole idea that you're gonna do personal growth and get past that is just nonsense. Um, you know, you are who you are, and no one's gonna change your fundamental way of thinking and seeing the world fast enough uh, to do what you need to do to slow down sometimes, or vice versa. You know, the people who who take a long marathon level view often miss opportunities because they're not just you know, putting out all those feelers or, you know, I'm, I'm fishing when I do this, apparently, mm-hmm. um, you know, putting out all those lines to see what, you know, who, who, who bites. So yeah. Stephen, that's a really good point that we bring up all the time is that uh, I'm a disciple of a Dan Sullivan strategic coach. Um, and he talks about unique ability teamwork. Mm. And then, um, and, and he says that if you work outside your new unique ability teamwork and you try to get better at your weaknesses, all you do is get, uh, a little bit better at your weakness. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it's, a, it, it's, I don't know how that idea evolved that you need to improve the things that you suck at. Right. It's really, it's the, it's the least effective use of your time and effort. Yes. Yes. And yeah. so what you try to do is exactly what you and Lena do is you just compliment each other yeah. and then hopefully bring people into the company that also can compliment each other. And I, so I uh, thank you yeah. for bringing that up because we've tried to reinforce that all the time. You know, yeah, actually, there, go ahead. Second, there's a there's a whole lot of business ideas that are the only reason they exist is to sell books and workshops from the person who wrote the book mm-hmm. and does the workshops because there's no evidence that they work. In fact, almost all business books, frankly, are nothing but hindsight bias and survivorship bias. We're looking at oh, reality from yeah. now and trying to figure out what led to now. This is what human beings are built to do. We're built to figure out here's a result that I want. How do I get there? So I can be happy, I can be fed, I can have children, I can find shelter. The problem is we're horrible at it. And even more, we're worse at remembering how horrible we are at it. And if someone tells us that there's a path to get from where we think we are to where we want to be, and then we'll be happy, we will turn off 
giant chunks of our brain and believe what they say, despite the glaring evidence that, that it doesn't work. Like when, you know, someone's called me and said, uh, we have this opportunity to hang out with Richard Branson. Do you want to do that and learn from him? I went, no. <laughs> so, what? I said, I'm not Richard Branson. And the evidence is no one else is either because no one has emulated him and reproduced anything close to what he did or Bill Gates or Steve Jobs or, you know, fill in the blank for any, Lee Iacocca. I mean, you know, you name it. Anyone who is <clears throat> at the, who's the, an outlier success, mm-hmm. A, if you ask them how much of your success is due to luck and chance and fate and things that are out of your control, they go, oh my God. And they go for hours talking about how much that was the thing. So what is there to reproduce anyway? They just told you that it's irreproducible. So you know, that's really interesting. And I think you're kind of hitting at something that is so intrinsic to a human is instead of following all of these other experts or figuring out all of the voices that you can model after, it's really important to turn off all of that and be able to find out who you are and be able to really flourish and function in your own uniqueness. And, and by paying attention to the real feedback you're getting, instead of spending time trying to become a different something. And what I mean by that is, um, you know, you might have your own unique, special little snowflake thing, but if you're, if you don't have a way of getting that to people who want to take advantage of what you have and compensate you for it, then who cares? I mean, Mm -hmm. you can still do it. I'm not saying don't do something you'd love to do, but this whole idea of even do what you love and the money will follow. The woman who wrote that book, if you read the book, it says, do what you love and the money will follow. FYI, I'm not saying the money will follow from doing what you love. I'm saying do what you love and that might give you the opportunity for money to follow by doing some other thing or vice Mm -hmm. versa, like get a job to pay for the thing that you love to do. So the whole idea of do what you love, find your passion, money will follow, no one ever said that. It was from someone who picked up the title of a looked at the title of a book and never read the book and turned it into a workshop. <laughs> so it's so, just so so interesting. Go ahead, Bruce. I have. Well, a I, I, I'm, I got so many things. So, Stephen, I was also um, a Division two college football player. So I, I oh, cool. uh, have a lot of athletic stuff, and I was a track track guy too in high school and so on and so forth. And I think it, it, there's some parallels here that you're st- that I never thought about before. Like as athletes, we prepare, prepare, prepare. But it doesn't just because you prepare doesn't mean you're going to be successful. But yet that mindset, I think, has been carry it carries over in you. And I think it carries over in me. It's like we know we have to prepare and prepare. It doesn't necessarily mean the revenue is going to follow. But if we don't prepare, there's definitely not going to be any revenue that follows. Absolutely. And there's there's another version of that that I was thinking about. Um, you know, people congratulate Lane and I for getting to where we've gotten so far and we have you know, a lot more going on. And I find it very confusing. Um, and it reminded me of when I, the, the last or the gymnastics meet that I did that qualified me as an All-American when I was in high school, all these people came up to congratulate me. And I was literally confused because two years earlier, my coach and I sat down and he said, do you want to become an All-American? You have it in you. And I said, yes. He goes, here's how we do it. So we just executed the plan. And it didn't go like this. It went, you know, but we just executed the plan and it was successful for myriad reasons, many of which I had no control over, including, I, I didn't know this until I was in my forties. My, my grandfather, who might take after was a gymnast, had no idea until I found his high school yearbook. And oh, my, wow. gymna- my, my coach who happened to be my junior high school gym teacher was a nine time, I think like nine time national, three time world tumbling champion. And one of the greatest coaches and teachers of anything I can think of wow. ever. So, you know, that weird collection of things. If I had lived in a, if I had lived across the street, I would have been in a different school district and wouldn't have had access to him. And none of this would have happened. 
So, so fascinating. And I think you're absolutely right that so much is open to chance. I mean, we would like to think that we have all this control and that we're going to plot exactly where we're going to be five years from now and 10 years from now. And at the same time, I think just being able to be curious, which I think Dan Sullivan has said that same thing, be curious and, and be able to take in the information. I mean, it's all the way back to what you said about taking in the sensory information from your feet when you're running to make decisions, you're taking information in from all around you, all these sources, and you're assimilating that information to know how to pro- progress and move forward. Well, it's it's a weird thing because you're going to take all that information and you're going to make a decision and you'll either be right or not. It's not like you can take it all in and you're going to get the right answer. It's sort of, um, you know, the line, uh, the Taoist line, um, uh, journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. I asked a guy who translated from Chinese, I said, since there's not a tense thing in Chinese, isn't it as true that you could say journey of a thousand miles is a single step? And he mm. said, actually, yeah. And that's the way I think of it. It's like you take a step, you reevaluate, you take the next step, you reevaluate as best you can. I mean, the worst thing you can do is try to plan that 10th step before you've taken the first, because you have no idea if the second one is going to lead you off in a completely different direction. Look, for the first three and a half years, we were planning on what we were going to be as a do-it-yourself sandal company. Mm-hmm custom-made sandal company, we had no idea that it was going to become this. And had we stuck to our guns uh, instead of reading the room, if, if you will, mm-hmm. we would be a, we'd have a nice little lifestyle boutique business, but we wouldn't have what we have now. That's yeah, just it's, it's a difference between a vision and, and um, um, a set goal, I think. You know, I, mm-hmm. think, I think you ought to have a vision of where you want your company to go but you ought to have short-term um, processes that you can change the... It's all of that. But you know, the, the thing that I see people getting hung up on is turning a process into a prescription rather than it's like, here's the process today. And then something happens and you've got to reevaluate. People often ask us, you know, do you have a business plan? And I go, absolutely not. That's where I was going, Stephen. That's exactly where I was going. People no. lay their, you know, their whole plan on this business plan yeah. Like for 25 years in the future, I'm like, you, you really don't, you've never done a business before, or you would re- realize that this, <laughs> yeah. this means nothing. This yeah, is, I, absolutely. Call it, I call it liar's poker. <laughs> well, you know? you know, I'll tell you something funny. First of all, I agree. I mean, and when people ask why we don't have one, I go, because by the time I'd finished writing it, it's obsolete. Mm-hmm. You know, so too much has happened. One of my dad's uh, friends from college for a while was a big deal venture capitalist guy, and he was dealing with a lot of software companies. And I had a software company way back when. And he calls me and says, you know, so what are your projections for next year? I said, well, do you want me to lie to your face? <laughs> What are you projecting? I said, what do I care? I'm just trying to do the next thing. He's well, you know, when do you think you're going to upgrade to the software is going to be done? I said, how many software companies have you dealt with? He goes, 200. I said, has anyone ever given you an honest answer for when is the upgrade going to be done? That was true. He says, no. I said, then why are you asking me to lie to your face? And he goes, I don't care what you say. I just want to hear how you think. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. I can do that. That's easy. That makes sense. Now to your point though, about vision or goal, look, I've got a very big vision for this company because we know that natural movement has demonstrable benefits that change people's lives. Lane is lying. There's enough shoe companies in the world. You don't need another shoe company unless your shoes change people's lives. And these do. And I say, and I'm being a little um, glib when I say that because what changes your life is letting your body do what's natural, which we help you do, not something magical about the shoes per se. But we have professional athletes who are saying they're playing better than ever. 
So we know we can keep people on the court or on the field for more seasons, more games every season, more seasons every year. Uh, Dr. Irene Davis from Harvard said, if we get kids wearing your shoes in 20 years, we won't be treating adults for the problems they currently have, which is billions oh, of dollars worth of problems. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, the, there's not one place where we haven't found a value for natural movement footwear. Not saying there aren't situations where you need something else. Um, if you're doing certain kinds of climbing, you need a climbing shoe. Um, you know, so it's not like this is the perfect solution for everything you do. But the point being that when we look at all the things that natural movement can do, um, it's a multi-hundred billion dollar opportunity. So I, we had someone say to us recently, do you see this company becoming a billion dollar company in 10 years? I said, no, seven. Yeah. Excellent. Hey, what about, um, I think I read this in some of uh, your information somewhere that um, somebody either said it to you or you thought it that, hey, you're going to ramp up and do this all, all this natural movement. And then one of the big boys are going to come in and say, there's really not that right. much of an intellectual property that you have. And we're just going to take this. Uh, how do you respond to that? Awesome. All for it. Uh, the most important thing for me is the natural movement part. We're trying to help people rediscover that natural movement is the obvious, better, healthy choice the way natural food is. And other people need to be involved in that, frankly. You know, look, you may notice already there's more than one shoe company in the world. They've all found a way to differentiate themselves. If the big boys come in, it's not a problem. It, it just gives more value to what we do, and we're the authentic one. Um, they've tried doing this before and have backed out because. We actually know, um, we've heard from three different friends and I know, and I've heard directly from one CEO of a multi-billion dollar footwear company, but these three friends have talked to C-level people of other multi-billion dollar footwear companies. And all four of those C-level people have said, not, well, one directly, what we're doing is real, but they can't do it because it, it would be admitting that everything else they've done for 50 years is bullshit. Mm -hmm. So they have a bit of a challenge. Now, look, if they're really smart, here's what I would do if I were them. I would acquire us and let us keep doing our thing and then put me on the road with one of their engineers or developers to debate about natural movement and the value thereof, because those conversations, those debates get a lot of attention. I was uh, at the American College of Sports Medicine a couple of years ago on a panel discussion about footwear, and it was the most well-attended thing they ever had. So you put us out on a road show to talk about natural movement, 20% of the people will believe what I say without question or without, uh, they're never going to change their mind. 20% of the people will believe what the other guy is saying without ever changing their mind. And there's that 60% in the middle who are curious, who mm -hmm. could go either way. And if the umbrella company was you know, benefiting from both opportunities, that's a great opportunity. I haven't met anyone who has the uh, ego strength to do what I just suggested, because it would really mean getting off your high horse about being right and being willing to just be helpful in whatever way that shows up. Mm -hmm. you no, know, and I'm not. And while I would say that this is a great solution for everybody, not all the time. Some people are going to, you know, not change their running form, et cetera. And great, use our stuff, you know, when you're not running, when you're walking around, when you're recovering. Use it uh, because research from Sarah Ridge and BYU shows that just walking in a truly minimalist shoe builds foot muscle strength the way that a foot exercise program does. How could that be bad? Mm -hmm. So, you know, there's, there's always a place for what we're doing, even if you're not going to switch full time. Um, so, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get into arguments with people 
where there's no way to win an argument, I'll just point out that there's opportunities that they might not have thought about where we could be adding value. Um, so, you know, do what you do. And then there's this, because you're not wearing, even if you are wearing your running shoes all the time, you don't need to wear those running shoes all the time. Mm-hmm. I that, love that you're. That's really good. Cause it, the, I was going to actually point that out. I, I think the difference I feel from you is your authenticity mm-hmm. about actually just adding value to the world. And then that value will be paid in the form of people purchasing your shoes where the big boys will, or maybe just have the bottom line. They don't really care if they're adding value or not. I think that's, that's the well, you know, difference. I will argue that many of them think they're adding value despite the complete lack of evidence thereof. So, um, and again, you know, the, it's not worth trying to argue or even present facts and data because if someone believes something and you present them with facts that are contrary to what they believe, they don't go, oh, they typically go, right. hey. Uh-huh. <laughs> and it even more strongly. So the, th- the, the thing that's valuable for us is to point out people, give people an experience, whether it's a literal experience, trying on mm-hmm. our shoes, uh, where people go, oh my God, I can't believe how comfortable these are. And they're so lightweight and my toes can spread and all those things they say. Or reminding them of an experience they had that just um, contradicts what they're currently doing, creating cognitive dissonance. So for example, when I just say to someone, People ask me what I do for a living. I answer by uh, with a question. I go, do your feet feel better at the end of the day than they did at the beginning of the day? And no one says yes. <laughs> and I go, why? I can give you some ideas. Take a look at the shape of your shoe. It's usually really pointy. Take a look at your foot. Your foot is not pointy. So that's a problem. Your foot's right. supposed to bend, move, and flex and feel. How flexible is your shoe? Wait, hold on. I say, how flexible is your shoe? And they can't bend it. And then I take off mine and I go like that. I go, so, and how much can you feel from your shoe? And they go, well, nothing. I go, so tell me how it's good to essentially put your foot in a cast and watch it get weaker and be less mobile over time. Mm. Or I say, when you were a kid, did you used to like on a hot summer day, run outside, kick off your shoes and feel the grass between your toes or the sand under your feet or the water around your ankles? And you just like would go out and you play until it was so dark, you couldn't see your hand in front of your face or the ball you're trying to kick and your parents would have to drag you home. I mean, you can have that feeling now. It's really easy. Um, and people remember what it was like to run around barefoot. Mm-hmm. Many people do it now. They kick off their shoes. They enjoy that. It's like, well, you can have that feeling now. And by the way, that feeling is good for you. That is so awesome. I love just so many different elements that you're pulling together here. One is that you are very purpose driven. I love that this is about a mission for you. This is about improving the world. It's about making people to be able to experience that natural footwear and the natural movement of their feet. And I love also that this impacts every other area of your life for a person who gets into your footwear. That's just so exciting. And I love even kind of coming back to some of the parts that you talked about before. It's not necessarily about the product. It's about you, the transformation of you. And this is really about trusting yourself when when you're going in business, this is about trusting yourself and your, your own movement in terms of mobility. But then it's also about trusting yourself in any capacity of life. It's not about what um, things we can put on outside of ourselves, but really about becoming the best version of ourselves. Well, I hate to be obnoxious, but I'm going to, I don't, um, this is going to, this is going to be like um, picking nits, splitting hairs, or whatever metaphor you choose okay. to use. At the time. I don't trust myself. 
Um, in fact, it's just, and what I mean really is that that's not, not a word that I would ever use to describe mm. my process or how I think or whatever, however you want to call that. I, in fact, second guess almost everything that I'm doing from a business perspective. In fact, when somebody calls me to sell me some marketing tool or product or opportunity, um, this is literally what I say to them. I'm not going to edit this. I go, how quickly, how quickly and cheaply can I find out if you, I, I got to try and do that and articulate how cheaply and quickly can I find out if you have your head up your ass? Because they're promising all the things that I could do that are going to work great or all the things they're going to do that are going to work great. Maybe, you know, I say, I don't want to have a conversation in a couple of weeks where you go, wow, I don't know why that didn't work, but thanks for the money. So, you know, I'm very focused on making sure that the money we spend gives us a return because we need that to keep our employees employed, our Mm. rent paid and to grow the business. So I'm very focused on that. I never have an, I, I, I have one of the things that I say is I've been a marketer for so long that I have a lot of opinions. I just don't care what any of them are. I only care about the data. Oh, that's How interesting. Can I get the data and cheaply? Can I get the data to make an informed decision? And some things that didn't work two years ago now work. Some things that worked two years ago now don't work. Mm-hmm. So, but trust is just not a word that I think of. Again, I, I'm, that's I have really interesting. I have a certain kind of confidence about some of the things that I know how to do. Um, I know that I can walk into a room and if we're brainstorming ideas, I'm probably going to have more than everybody else. Are they going to all be good? Absolutely not. But that's just, you know, again, that's what my brain does. But beyond that, I got nothing. (laughs) Interesting. I guess where I was going with that whole thing is that I think a lot of times people look for something outside of themselves to be the thing and to be the solution, to be the savior of their life. They're like, oh, this financial product is the the one solution or even kind of back to the whole guru hunting almost thing that you talked about before this this guru is my one savior my solution right. my answer whereas instead i think really when it comes down to living successfully and building a successful business and enjoying your life and being in a position of financial control and building time and money freedom and all the things that we all want i think it really comes down to figuring out what is my best process how am i wired and what do i need to do with, as you're saying, with this data around me, how do I need to make decisions that are best for me, not just looking to something external to. Yeah. You, you know, and we've been sold, especially in the United States, um, this whole idea from companies here is the solution. Just buy this thing and everything's taken care of. Mm-hmm. Rarely is that true. And, and, and we crave it because again, as human beings, we're looking for the thing that will get us what we want. And if someone says, here's a simple thing that will do that, we're wired to, you know, off we go. Mm-hmm. Right. Rarely that simple. But when it comes yeah. to running or walking or hiking, um, you do become your own best coach when you start listening to the feedback and experimenting to see what happens and find what works for you in that situation. Absolutely. That changes. And on the financial side, the thing that I always say to people, and, and it's kind of a funny thing to say to you guys um, in particular, is I only care about the risk. I only care about that because it's the one thing I can control. The rest of it is fundamentally out of my control. I know with some of the things that you're doing, the upside is as close to guaranteed as possible because historically, you know, never not been a, a dividend payout, for example. With life Could insurance. Be that next yeah. year, something crazy happens. It's possible. Um, I mean, here's a funny story about that. A friend of mine, Lane and I were doing some day trading way back when, and I was doing stock system analysis and 
friend of mine calls me and says, I found this guy who's trading a system that hasn't had a losing trade in seven months. And could you analyze it? I said, sure. So I call the guy um, who's doing it and I said, what's your system? He describes it. I said, you know that fundamentally what you're doing is the same philosophy as the thing that a group called long-term capital management did. And that nearly bankrupted the entire world. And he said, well, no, it's different. I said, no, it's exactly the same what you're doing. You're basically betting that two things that normally move in parallel when they come apart are going to come together in a time frame that you know works for you, but they might keep going apart until you have no money. So I said, so here, here's a question that most traders never answer. I go, how do you know if your system is broken? And he says, oh, and he had an answer. He said, if you know the account goes down by 50% in one trade, we know that it was broken. I said, great. So I said to my friend, how much does it cost to buy in? He said, $30,000. I said, all right, you're making a $15,000 bet that they will double your money. So you're playing with house money before they lose all your money. Or you lose basically 30 grand uh, or 15 really, because you'd pull out and whatever. Anyway, he says, yeah, I'm willing to make that bet. Next trade, the whole thing goes under. Mm. <laughs> Guy hadn't had a losing trade in seven months. The next trade is when it went so far that he couldn't recover. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's an interesting. I I think uh, as I look at your psychology background, um, I I'd like to know how you think that has helped you along the way, because um, I think what we try to do in our our business is we try to actually empower people to become their best financial advisor themselves mm. through education, mm. and and it's because. But Stephen, I think the other thing you you've hit on, and I never thought about this before is people want an advisor so that they don't have to take any responsibility. Correct. Yeah. So um, the answer to your question is that um, I don't know. <laughs> um, so, That's what a psychology person would say, I think. That's a good point. Uh, so I'll make something up. <laughs> um, what I can tell you is that so my undergraduate degree in research, I did primary research in cognitive psychology and cognitive aspects of motor skill acquisition. So I made a whole map of what happens in your brain as you're learning to move differently, for example. Um, and what I discovered, what got me into cognitive psychology was this one teacher who introduced me to this, I, this whole thing where I found out that the way my brain works, the way I attend to my own thinking, my own, I, I, I seem... Um, I'm, I'm an extroverted guy, but I have a particular introspective uh, loop that happens in my mind. And that particular thing, that internal awareness was actually an academic discipline <laughs> that I did not know about. And it was so exciting for me. She pulls me aside. I got into her class like a year and a half before I was supposed to. I don't know how. And she pulls me aside. And do you know how sometimes um, the fictional version of a story is better than the real version of the story? Oh, yeah. oh absolutely. And, and more true. Um, so I've told, I've, this is a, a woman, Dr. Ruth Day. I, I love this woman with all my heart. Um, and I told her, this is the way I tell the story of our relationship. And she goes, but I didn't say it that way. I would never talk like that. I go, I know, but my version's better. So <laughs> she said, um, she pulls me aside uh, at, at, after class one day and says, um, we need to have a talk. I said, okay. She said, everyone in the class thinks you're a total ass. And I said, uh, why? She goes, well, because I say something and it gets you all excited because you know you never thought about that before and it like gets you going. And then you say things back to me and it gets me going. And then we get into this little loop and no one knows what we're talking about. And they figure you're just trying to kiss my butt for a good grade because you shouldn't even be in this class. I said, what do I do? She goes, well, independent study, of course. <laughs> so, um, so <laughs> because we have to take care of the masses. That's we right. can't think of but individuals. I mean, 
But oh, what that what that did in my and my subsequent um, continued interest in cognitive psychology and cognitive neuroscience is it just gave me an understanding. Let's call it a meta understanding about how we think. Look, a lot of things that we that happen in our brain we think are personal and things we need to fix. But maybe neither of those are true. Maybe the fact that you don't like your body, and I'm speaking to everyone on the planet, um, is not a, something that you need to fix because it's proof there's something wrong. Maybe this is just one of the symptoms of being human because we never learned to pick up, I was going to say, pick up a glass of water. I've got tea. So that looks hideous. We never learned to look at something like this and know the answer to the question, is that good for me or bad for me? Unless we tasted it and paid exquisite attention to our internal experience to learn and then pass on that information. Well, now everything's pretty much safe. So we're just constantly turning inward and making, you know, and using that same thing to see is something wrong, is something wrong, is something wrong. And you can always find the answer yes if you look mm -hmm. hard enough. Oh, absolutely. You know? So <laughs> I, did, I didn't know we were going this direction, but this is great. I, I never know what direction we're going. Remember? We. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. But I, I, this whole conversation has just been really fascinating. And I mean, everything from the curiosity in the beginning, the role of luck. Um, you did say something really interesting that kind well, of came up on the. Then. That was totally in my error. <laughs> something that came up on the um, Shark Tank. And then also that you mentioned a little later on. What is the value of knowing your numbers and using that as data to be able to make decisions oh, in oh, your business? Oh, oh man, there's nothing else. I mean, really, um, the entire business is numbers. <laughs> uh, on Shark Tank, they ask you very specific things. You know, what you what's your revenue? What's your margin? What are you projecting? I mean, there's very very simple things. Maybe five questions they ask you about your finances, and if you just can't answer like this, then they eat you alive. So we, we knew all of that. I mean, I had to get coaching from Lena in case they asked me something. Uh, but mostly if you watch the episode, you'll see all the financial stuff. They ask her, she has the answers. I don't store that stuff in my brain um, as well as she does. She's just like whiz bang smart uh, financially. And so, but you are, every decision you're making is fundamentally guided. Yikes, my apologies. That's, your, that's, that's the car, the car offer. Yeah, it could be. No, it doesn't look like it. Um, it. It's fundamentally guided by a couple of things. What your cash flow is, when money is coming in, when money's going out. So what do you have available? What do you what what do you have to pay when? How long can you delay it? How long, you know, do you need to accelerate it? Um, um, figuring out here's what I can make something for, here's what I can sell it for. How do I manipulate that and find out the best choice? Look, we don't sell our products for the for the money. We don't sell our products at a price that would make us the most money. No question about it. But having something affordable and durable is really important to us. So we, our typical pricing strategy is how do we sell something at a price that we'd be happy to buy it at? Completely stupid, hmm. except that it's you know completely Working, in line probably. with what we believe and how we feel and what we want to do. It's um, so great that, it's, that you're thinking about what is aligned for me. I think that's yeah, really important I, for anybody. I, just, I mean, come on, look at me. I'm not the guy who's kind of guy who's going to sell a $2,000 pair of shoes. <laughs> That's <laughs> just, not, just not what this thing does. <laughs> I love it. I mean, I look, it. at some point, I've actually been been kind of teasing Lena about this for almost 11 years. She made a do-it-yourself sandal with, with a bunch of Swarovski crystal that we got for free somehow. It's like $5,000 worth of stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I said, we need to sell a $5,000 do-it-yourself kit and donate all the money to charity. I mean, we don't, but we've got to make the most expensive do-it-yourself sandal ever made. <laughs> Love it. Be a blast. I love it. That's but, awesome. I mean, but to your to your point, I mean, 
if you don't know what's happening with the money in your business, you're not going to have a business. End of story. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you mentioned cash flow. I mean, that's a huge piece that I think just understanding what is the cash flow and where is my storage tank for when I have a lapse or a, a lull in or cash flow. Well, yeah. well, you know, Lena, we used to have what Lena referred to as the February problem. We had to pay for our product in December, January. It was going to land in February. We weren't going to be able to sell it till March. So we had this February dip in income that mm-hmm. we had to cover somehow. And we're happily not in that situation uh, any longer, but that was a, that was a real challenge. And if you don't know things like that, if you can't project, here's when uh, I don't know how I'm going to make payroll mm-hmm. and you, you, then that dip is going to be even worse. You won't know what, how to prepare for it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, in my first business, I was stunned when we were making a million dollars a year and I had no money in the bank because I didn't understand this stuff then. It just, it was, I was very confused. How could we have, how could we have made all this money, but not have any money? And even now with our business, you know, the business is doing really, really well. Many people assume that Lena and I in particular are just like pocketing hundreds of Benjamins. That ain't the case. All the money is going into the business. The amount of actual profit, <clears throat> pardon me, the amount of actual profit we've made over this long amount of time is very small compared to the total amount of money we've generated, especially because when you have a rapidly growing business, all that money has to go back into mm-hmm. growth. And so it's, you know, it's, it's incredible. not to mention the sweat equity and the blood and tears that have gone into it as well. And I think sometimes people yeah. just look at the success or the end story and <clears throat> they say, Hey, yeah. I want that. And that's attractive. And I want to be there, but you've well, gone through a journey. We've gone through a journey. Every business owner that's ever been in any position of success. It's really interesting how it feels different on the inside than it looks from the outside. Yeah. yeah. People, people who don't know us or, or hadn't seen us in a while, you know, when they hear we're running our own business, they go, wow, that must be really fun. And I say, you've never done this before, have you? Right. <laughs> there are I that think are I'm going to use your line. Yeah. There are things that are incredibly satisfying, um, but it's super challenging. I mean, the next phase of what we're doing in the business is designed to help it be more fun because now we do have some resources where we can hire uh, a level of talent that can take a bunch of things off of our plate so that we can be focusing even more on just Mm -hmm. the stuff we're really good at and not all the things that we happen to be good at that we don't like doing. Um, so, I mean, you know, I'm, I'm a really smart computer it guy. I hate doing it. Um, luckily we have someone, we have a couple of people who now can do that. And otherwise, you know, anytime someone had a problem with a computer, they come into me and it's like, Mm Hmm. Oh, absolutely. All right. Hey, we have one question on YouTube here and it's not necessarily the main focus that we're talking about today, but we have a question. How do you communicate with C-level officers? What do you do to communicate with a C-level officer when interested in creating a business relationship with them and their company or or corporation after having, (laughs) after having heard you say that you got in contact with four C-suite officers at four different firms? Got it. So, um, there's two components. Uh, we mentioned luck before. And that one was totally luck. So what happened is we had a friend whose family had been in the, was actually still in the footwear business. They used to buy brands and these guys were coming in to pitch them on a product that they had come up with that they didn't want to build a company around. They wanted to license the product. This family that we knew, one of the people working for them called me and said, you got to meet these guys because they're really, really important. And I went up to meet them. Now here's the next part. I 
pretty much treat everyone like they're somebody that I've known most of my life. I'm very, I have a hard time code shifting and, you know, being professional. (laughs) I don't even know what that means. Being professional (laughs) in one context and, you know, not in another. So the next part was that I'm talking to these guys like they're my friends and they responded in kind. Um, And when I'm approaching new and additional C-level people, again, it might not be the right way. It's just, that's the way I do it. Um, I call and we chat. And I guess, you know, so uh, you think you might've mentioned, um, I was a professional stand-up comic for a dozen years. I did not mention, but yes. Um, my real job was telemarketer. Mm. My real job was getting on the phone, calling clubs or bookers and just booking gigs. And I'm just, I'm pretty fearless about picking up the phone and calling to try to get through to someone because why wouldn't you be? That's awesome. That's awesome. It's just so interesting. Again, looking at saying, Hey, why not use these things that I love doing that maybe other people don't love doing and use it to your advantage and be able to use it as a possible opportunity to create some luck in the future. So it's, look, awesome. I'm going to tell you a luck story. I know we're running short on time, but here's my favorite luck story. Um, we're do it yourself, Santa making kit. A friend of ours is out walking his dog. So here's our friend. Here's his dog. Normally he doesn't do that. Normally his wife does that. Well, there's another guy who's got dogs and normally his wife walks the dogs and he doesn't, but the dogs knew each other. So the dogs are doing their dog thing. So the guy started talking. My friend says, what do you do? This guy says, oh, I'm the former head of global product design at Crocs. And my friend says, oh, my friend, Steven and Lena have a shoe company. Oh, here's my phone number. So he hands the phone number. We get the phone number. I sit on it for months because I'm thinking, why would this guy who's got 35 years, 40 years of footwear experience have any interest in talking to us? We have a do-it-yourself sandal making kit. Anyway, a couple months later, I still have the note sitting on my desk. I pick up the phone. I give him a call. We get together for lunch. Um, What was supposed to be a half an hour turned into four hours. And at the end, I said, you know, I would love someday to find someone like you who's just younger than you and getting his feet wet, but, you know, really trying to prove something um, who can help us out. And he's, what about me? I said, well, uh, you got paid like a lot of money in your last few jobs. We haven't even made that amount of money yet. He goes, yeah, but I'm retired and I believe in what you're doing. I went, you're hired. Nice. So, you know, we're not for dogs that knew each other and two guys who happen to be walking their dogs on the days they normally don't. <laughs> and and people will say, well, I mean, people talk about creating luck. I went, how did we create that? You know, well, you were willing to call the guy. I went, the dogs knew each other. Right. <laughs> Oh, I love it. Well, definitely interesting perspective. And I just really appreciate you authentically sharing yourself and your story and just what's led you here. And I know that this has been inspiring to our audience as they're listening. And, And what's just really interesting is you said at the beginning, it's not a clear one way straight shot path to success. But what is very interesting is that as we are in this journey, it's about figuring out how do we build this life that we love? How do we build a business that we love? How do we enjoy life? How do we make the biggest impact? How do we help other people improve their lives, make the world a better place? If you've got kids, take care of them. If you have a loved one, taking care of them. That's really what this all means. So I hope that um, as you've been listening today, that you've gained some value in that. And Stephen, I would love for you to share exactly how somebody can find you and get your shoes. Uh, you want me to tell people how they stalk me? Yeah. Um, well, here's our home address. Uh, no, no, no. no. <laughs> online, online. <laughs> All right. um, it's not surprisingly, um, zeroshoes.com, xeroshoes.com, or slash zero shoes or at zero shoes at all your favorite slashes and at places. <laughs> Love it.
<laughs> Love it. Well, thank you so much. Everyone go check out Zero Shoes. And I think there's still time to get them for Christmas. So um, like like today, you know, the, okay. the, the carriers are saying things are a little backed up. So fingers crossed. Yes. Yes. All right. Well, you might have to pay for some extra fast shipping on that if you want it for Christmas. There we go. All right. Well, thank you so much, Stephen, for being with us Pleasure. today. And in closing, everyone who's listening, please remember success leaves clues. Maybe not a straight path, but clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd and build a life and business you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and investment advisory services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and registered investment advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.